Welcome to This Grit and Grace Life. You've got questions, we've got answers. From the boardroom to the bedroom, car lines to college, single, married, or single again, we're bringing real answers to help you live and love your grit and grace life. Welcome to This Grit and Grace Life. I'm Darlene Brock. Well, hello, friends. It's me, still, Julie Bender. <laughs> <laughs> it's me, still, and we're glad it's you, still. <laughs> oh, I well, don't know what we're saying. Yeah, Sorry. I know. Okay. There was a conversation we had a while back that we want to bring back and let y'all hear it again if you haven't had the opportunity to. And it's with an OBGYN asking a lot of questions that I think we're a little bit nervous about. Hmm. I mean, I remember I was nervous because she's actually my OBGYN, so yes. it felt slightly more personal. But I mean, at the same time, I guess she knows me pretty well. <laughs> Before we get to that, though, let's, True. Talk, let's talk women's health. Oh, let's do it. Okay, do you know this about women? Probably we, not. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> I'm learning all kinds of things. Uh, women listen with both sides of their brains. Oh, I mean, that feels true. Yeah, it does feel true. Researchers, though, verified it because they monitored brain activity of men and women who listened to a passage from a book and found that most of the women also showed activity on the right side, which is associated with creativity. Interesting. Do you know what I think they were doing? On the right side of their brain, they were going, oh, I need to go to the grocery store, mm -hmm. and I need to For pick sure. up this and this and this and that. That's what they were doing, I, I swear. These researchers may not know it, but we do. <laughs> I mean, yes, we. that's that's how we get any grocery shopping done. <laughs> <laughs> While women are historically known to be more, quote, emotional, it's actually because women's tear glands are anatomically bigger than men's. Okay, I like Wait, that. we have more tears? No. Are we saying tears are emotions? <laughs> or are we just saying, oh, by the way, the tear glands are part of where we experience emotions? I think it's because when you experience emotions, you cry. And men cry, too. I think both of us are married to <laughs> men who cry. But because ours are bigger, we produce more, apparently. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I, I guess that. that's it. Hmm. Yep. All right. Well, this feels timely for me. When not in use, a healthy uterus measures about three inches long and two inches wide. But by 20 weeks into pregnancy, the expanding uterus reaches all the way to the navel. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, do you need to go to the bathroom again, Julie? <laughs> yeah. Soon. Can we hurry through this, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much so. All right. Women have a more sizable prefrontal cortex, mm. which controls cause and effect thinking and judgment. It develops at a younger age in girls, which is why they take fewer risk than boys. Interesting. A study by McGill University also believes that women's bodies fight off infection and disease in a better manner than men. We just don't have time to be sick. <laughs> That's true. I think we just push through and they get that man cold and they're out for the count. <laughs> it's so true. So true. All right. The female brain is 9% smaller than the male uh -huh. counterpart. Now, does that make you feel badly about yourself? Uh, I don't know. Is there a redeeming quality? There here? is actually, <laughs> but has an equal number of brain cells oh, there it is. compared to men. Interesting. Yeah, because we're just more efficient. That's <laughs> true in every way, including our brain. So obviously women are pretty amazing. All that life throws at us, whether it's physical, labor, stress, giving birth, our bodies can do some incredible things. But there is one area that we don't boast about a lot, and that is our women's health. Our feminine health. Oh, yes. 
feminine. Is that what we call it now? Well, I mean, that's what the paper says. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like we talk a lot about women's health, but that can mean a lot of things. But we're like getting real specific. Yeah, and Dr. Holly did. Yes. <laughs> So before we jump all the way back into this conversation where we address questions you may have or may don't even know that you have or are certainly maybe too nervous to tell somebody that you have, let me tell you a little bit more about Dr. Holly. Dr. Miller completed medical school at Loyola University and a residency in obstetrics and gynecology at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago. She's currently an OBGYN physician in Florida. Outside of the office, Dr. Miller enjoys reading, running, and spending time with her husband and four children. Fun fact, do you know that she is like a Cub Scout leader for her boys? She's the real deal. Yeah, she is the real deal. It's a little bit different for us that we're we're asking an expert questions that women tend to run from mm-hmm. and fears that we seem to have, and that is, when do we see a gynecologist? Why do we see a gynecologist? Do we have to see a gynecologist? <laughs> so, you know, I'm really excited that you're with us today, Dr. Holly, and would like to just start with that. Why are we terrified of you? <laughs> Well, Darlene, thank you so much for having me. And I'm glad you asked that question. Um, It's extremely important that women of all ages have a relationship, you know, with a doctor, um, specifically a gynecologist or someone that can really handle all of those issues that are specifically related to women. Um, The first visit with me as a gynecologist could be as young as that adolescent age. I have some very young patients that I've seen and taken care of for sort of specific issues, but I do have a lot of teenagers that I take care of who are dealing with things like extremely painful periods or extremely heavy menstrual periods. So the actual first visit with the gynecologist um, really depends on what is happening in a young woman's life. Of course, our pediatricians and our our other family practice primary care doctors tend to take care of most women in that middle school, high school year uh, until they really feel like they need to come and see us. So are you saying we need to bring our daughter to the gynecologist as soon as she's had her period or only if it seems abnormal? Really only if it seems abnormal. Most pediatricians are going to handle the normal menstrual cycle when it starts for the adolescent girl. Gotcha. I mean, this is not a problem I actually need to be worried about, but hey, maybe one day I'll have a girl. I don't know. Yeah. That would be wonderful. I had two. And I think there's a a bit of terror from moms of if I take them to a gynecologist, are they going to think too much about sex? Are they Mm. going to, uh, is the gynecologist going to go, let's start you on birth control now? Is there, you feel like you lose control as a mother when you take your little girl to a doctor like yourself. And that's pretty terrifying for moms. I would hope that moms can look at me as more of a partner in that situation. So for most teenagers, when I see them for the first or even the second visit, unless they absolutely need it, there's not going to be a pelvic exam. They're not going to get undressed. We're going to talk about whatever their issue is and do our best to not have to do anything that's really uh, personal or embarrassing to them. And in terms of the discussions of things like, like sex or contraception, It really depends on the girl and where she's at in her development. But if she needs to have that discussion, we want to do it on the earlier side. I don't know. I just love, I love meeting with teenage girls 
and having that chance to talk with them about sex. I, you know, in my normal conversation, when I meet a teenager, usually her mom is there in the room with me. And I make a big point to say to the teen in front of her mom, that anything she tells me when her mom's not in the room can stay with us. And I want them to know that they can come to me to talk about sex, to talk about pressures at school, to, you know, to get tested for sexually transmitted infections, if that's something they've been exposed to. And there is a legal gray zone that as a gynecologist, I don't have to report everything back to mom, even if she's under 18. You know, and again, as a partner with that mother, I want that mom to know, I am going to treat her daughter the way I want my daughter to be treated. I'm going to get her tested and treated. And of course, I'm going to promote abstinence. But there's so much pressure in teenagers this year, you know, these days. And I want to make sure that girls are given um, every opportunity to be medically taken care of. So one of my best friends said of her teenage girls at one time and some other girls that were around, she said, if they're dumb, I get that, but I don't want them to be stupid. And I went, what do you mean? And she said, well, they may be making dumb decisions, but if they don't protect themselves in the process, then they become stupid. And I went, you know, that's a really good point is that you you want to protect them as much as you can from some of their choices so their choices don't become bigger and more challenging and more frightening than they are right. today. Right. And I and with every teenage girl I make a huge point that you know from the medical standpoint there is great proof that abstinence until a committed monogamous relationship specifically marriage is in her physical best interest. So we talk a lot about that, that, you know, of course, I believe what the Bible has taught us about where sex belongs, but as a doctor, I can support it with medical literature as well. So I want to give her other reasons why she is protecting herself and making decisions to respect her body in a way that protects her for the long term. Um, Okay, well, let's kind of just follow this train of thought. So say, you know, we've talked a little bit about when your teenager might need to come to the gynecologist. What are kind of by life stage with women? What are the different, you know, kind of seasons we go through that we want to make sure we are visiting with a gynecologist to make sure we're kind of having those checks and um, are healthy at the different phases of womanhood? So in our 20 something, so definitely by the age of 21 is when we should have our first pap smear. And then every year after that, from 21 to 30, there should be a pap smear every single year. So that's that good annual check. I'm coming in, I'm chatting about what's going on in my life and screening for things like sexually transmitted infections and getting a pap smear. After the age of 30, we can spread those pap smears out a little bit, but we still recommend a yearly visit with us to continue to talk about things such as contraception or pregnancy planning or infertility or any of the other issues we could chat about. So almost every year from 30 until 65, there should be a visit, a visit and a pelvic exam. Okay. Again, back to the dread. I think it's like I am exposing myself to another human. And I remember one time in, in my era of my girls being born, I, there were pretty much male doctors. Thank you 
Dr. Holly and every other female who has taken this on. I appreciate it enormously. <laughs> but I remember my male doctor, my little sheet was slipping off my knees and she, he kept apologizing to me. And I'm like, Dr. Tallarico, the reality is you're seeing everything and I'm not. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Yeah. So I guess I'm okay with whether the sheet's there or not, but it is a little bit terrifying to think about another human you don't even know. Um, be exposing part of your world that you probably wouldn't want to. I almost want to ask you, how do you deal with it from your side? I mean, how do we get more comfortable with you that this is part of what you do? I hope that just as another female that that women are comfortable with me. And and I will say that, you know, in the world of gynecology, we are a female dominated field. So the majority of physicians coming into the world of gynecology now are, are women, which is really exciting. Yeah. Um, I do pelvic exams every day. We're talking, you know, 20 to 30 women a day I examine. So, so wow. seeing that intimate part of the human body is extremely normal and common for us. And so hopefully just by the fact that, you know, that this is something we do and we're passionate about taking care of women. Um, I, my hope is that that always makes a woman feel more comfortable to have an exam and to talk about whatever it is that deeply concerns her. And wouldn't you even say that if you have an appointment that goes, you know, maybe it's your first visit with a new doctor and you are uncomfortable, wouldn't you say that that probably means you should find another doctor? That's probably a, a yes, absolutely. You should be comfortable with the physician taking care of you. Whatever whatever it is that you're going to the doctor for, you should feel like this is a partnership and that they're helping you and they're making you feel comfortable and that they're really giving you uh, answers to the questions you're seeking and and doing it in a way that you understand. Okay, so let's say you come in your 20s and you have regular paps till you're in your 30s and you know, all the way through menopause, you you guys ride that wave. And again, one thing I love about the fact that there are so many females now in this world, you know, you get it. You've had babies or, you know, I had one that, quite frankly, when I went through menopause, she was going through it with me. And it was like, this is awesome. You know, <laughs> we can have this conversation together. Um, but in, in the interim, past the normal life of being you know, very cautious and careful and doing what you need to. What are things that we need to think about or look for that you go, you need to come to me if these things happen? I guess it's important to distinguish between just having a pelvic exam and a pap smear first. So officially after the age of 30, the pap smear, which is that screening test for cancer of the cervix, if a woman qualifies, we will only collect that every third year. But in general, a pelvic examination where we're looking, looking at the cervix, looking at the vaginal tissue, looking at the vulvar tissue should be done every year. And I want a patient to let me know if there's been a change, if she has an odor or a vaginal discharge or anything that she considers out of the ordinary, she should come on in so that we can assess if there's something to be concerned about and to treat. Um, other things to, to think about and to, to notify the doctor would be a change in menstrual bleeding. So if the bleedings become excessively heavier or longer, or we're bleeding between normal cycles, those are other issues that we would want to know about and to talk about. Okay, real quick, normal cycle. 
what is yeah. a normal cycle? I'm specifically asking because you know I trained for that competition, and I think I yeah. saw you during that or right before. I can't remember. We definitely talked. We definitely, we definitely talked, talked about it. That might have been me texting you. I don't know. Um, <laughs> that definitely happened as well. Thank you for your personal services. Um, oh, wait but, a minute. We're not. You're not offering that to everyone. Let's just qualify oh, yes. that right now. So I, I feel like mine is still trying to find its normal. And I'm like, what is normal? I just want to be normal in one area of my life. Can it be my feminine health? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so in general, a normal menstrual cycle for a woman who's not on any type of a hormone, right? So if you're on a birth control pill or a hormonal contraceptive, that would be different. But if you're having your regular, normal, natural cycle, bleeding should be should happen every 28 to 32 days and really should last no longer than five to seven days. In terms of how heavy the bleeding is, I think that's the biggest challenge for women to really understand. And I meet a lot of women who come in, they describe to me what their menstrual bleeding is. And I say to them, your bleeding is excessively heavy. So normal bleeding should be no more than a super tampon about every three to four hours. And that's one of those big things that just doesn't get treated in women is heavy menstrual bleeding, because it's hard for us to know what our, if our bleeding is normal in comparison to someone else. So if you're finding that you're bleeding more than that, you probably need to go talk to your doctor. Is that what you're saying? Ab absolutely. What about if you're in excruciating pain during your menstrual cycle? Then is that is something else to talk about. So the menstrual cycle should not take you out of normal life. If you're having to skip school, if you're missing work, if you're canceling specific plans or activities because you're in so much pain, that's a pretty good assessment that it is time to come and talk to the doctor. Sorry, I'm thinking of multiple friends and I'm like, okay, you need to go see your doctor. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's true. I mean, I think that kind of falls into that, you know, eh, it's probably not a big deal. I know something that women do across the board in our lives is we minimize things because we're busy and we're caring about our other people. But I think part of the reason we wanted to have you on is to kind of put it right up in our face that, hey, your physical health, your feminine health is very important. And we put it on the back burner either because we're busy or because the other needs in our family come first, or because maybe we're, maybe we're scared that something is wrong and we don't want to face it, but that's certainly not a way to handle potential issues that could be happening. Julie, you're so right on that. And I see it over and over and over that my patients, the women I take care of will make sure that every other person in their life is taken care of before they take the time to take care of themselves physically. And we need to reverse that. We need to be taking care of ourselves first because if we're not healthy, we can't take care of our significant others, our children, our parents, our friends, or whoever else the Lord has given us to take care of. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about, you know, um, yearly pap smears and when those, um, you know, need to change. What are some things leading up to menopause that maybe symptoms or even just um, changes that we're going to experience that we need to keep an eye on? Are there any symptoms throughout our entire womanhood that we need to be watching for and paying attention to that you would want to make us aware of? So leading up to menopause. Which when does that the, happen? Just so yeah, I can be prepared. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you've got a little while, Julie. Yes. Uh, you're, you're a little younger than I'm me. I'm hoping are. to have another so, child before then. <laughs> oh, I like that plan. What? Um, <laughs> I, think, I think babies are amazing. Everybody should have more babies. So uh, the average age of menopause is 52. We define menopause as the cessation of menstrual periods for a year. So 12 months of no menstrual bleeding, 
is the definition of menopause. It's commonly associated with things like hot flashes, night sweats, vaginal dryness, mood changes. Depression is really common in menopause. And then weight gain, especially weight gain around the midsection, that belly fat. Very frustrating for most women. What is not normal is for the menstrual period to sort of go crazy. So it's not normal for us to bleed excessively heavy or to have periods that are lasting for two weeks. Um, Any bleeding that is out of the ordinary is, is not a normal part of I'm going into menopause. And that's one of those things I see a lot in women where they are truly having abnormal bleeding that I need to be evaluating. And they're just assuming that it's because they're hitting their natural midlife transition. Okay. So Dr. Holly, when we talked about wanting to record this episode, I sent you a list of questions that we would discuss. And one of the questions was, what are some things that women are afraid to talk to their OB or GYN about? And you had an interesting response to that. Julie, I told you what I try to tell all of my patients, that there really shouldn't be any issues or any questions that you can't ask your gynecologist. Because if you can't ask us, you can't ask anyone. That's what we're here for. You're stuck asking Google, which is dangerous. (laughs) It's very dangerous. Please, (laughs) please don't ask Dr. Google. (laughs) Okay. Well, that being said, are there some things that you know, just from experience, even just the timidness of your patients that they're maybe uncomfortable talking about, but are still really important to discuss with you? So we've talked a little bit about vaginal odors already, I think. And if we didn't, then uh, discussing just vaginal odors is really important. If if there's something that seems itchy or uncomfortable or is out of the ordinary and it's not going away, you need to come in and we need to, to check it out and get it treated. Um, another area is a prior history of abortion. Uh, abortion is extremely common in our country. It's common in every area of society. It's common in the church. And a lot of women deal with post-abortion trauma and we have a treatment for it. But if we don't know that it's affecting someone in their, you know, in their daily life, then we can't address that. And because it is so prevalent, sometimes it's even hard for me to know which women I should bring it up with versus which women I just need to acknowledge that it was there and sort of move on with them. Is that um, trauma both physical and emotional? It, it is more emotional than physical, but we know from plenty of research that Uh, post-abortion trauma can come out as a future eating disorder, relationship dysfunction, um, depression. So all sorts of areas where we may not relate it back to that choice of abortion years ago. All right. So those make perfect sense to me, Dr. Holly. What other things do you find frequently women are a little scared to bring up? I think that infertility is one of those challenging things for women to bring up because for most couples, they anticipate that once they're ready for a child, they're simply going to get pregnant and it's going to be easy. And when it starts to not be easy, it's hard to talk about. And it's hard to face the fact that we may have an issue on her side or his side or both. In a normal couple, it can take up to one year of unprotected intercourse to get pregnant before we would actually define it as infertility. Oh, that's really good to know because I think most, you're right, most couples think, well, you know, piece of cake, we've been trying not to do it for so long that should we, you know, put protection aside, then within two or three or four, surely in six months, I'll be pregnant. Mm -hmm. So knowing that a year is normal to me would alleviate a little bit of the pressure 
and you know keep the entertainment value at uh, <laughs> at an all time high. So you know let's let's go that direction. Right. In a couple who wants to get pregnant, they I would rather see them on the early side so that we can screen for medical illnesses that could affect the pregnancy in the future. So coming into the doctor and just having a regular checkup and letting them know that you're planning on getting pregnant is a great thing to do. Interesting. I don't know that I've ever really thought about that. I mean, that tidbit alone is super helpful. Right. So, Yeah. All right. What else is on that list of maybe taboo things to talk to you about? Uh, Depression. Depression is definitely on my list of Mm -hmm. things that are challenging to talk about. Uh, Lots of women associate postpartum depression and know that it's a thing, but even knowing that it's a thing, it's still not always brought to my attention on the early side. So, and even just depression in general, it doesn't have to just be in that postpartum situation, but women of all ages at all stages deal with, deal with depression. And it's something that is treatable. It is a medical issue. It is a hormonal issue and it does need to be addressed. Love that. I I wonder if some women are even listening, thinking, wait, why would I talk to my gynecologist about depression if I haven't just had a baby? Um, so I think that's really kind of an interesting thought to kind of bring that to your attention that of course you would want to go talk to your gynecologist about these types of issues because they could be really related and your help could be so insightful. So thank you for that. Good. And for most women, I am their only doctor. So unless she has another true medical illness where she needs to see a different primary care doctor or a specialist for, for most women, probably up until menopause, we are their only source of medical care. Okay. So some of the questions I had rolling around in my mind, and I did ask a couple friends kind of centered on birth control and sexual health. And I'm thinking we should have you back and have a whole conversation about that because that could probably eat up a whole nother 30 minutes. So let's put a pin in that discussion and come back to it. But what are some things that we can be doing that, um, fall in line with cancer prevention or detection? Because I know that's a big concern for us. Absolutely. So we talked a little bit about pap smears. And of course, a pap smear is a test of the cervix to screen for cancer of the cervix. The majority of cervical cancers are related to HPV, the human papillomavirus. It is a sexually transmitted infection. There is a vaccine that can help decrease our chance of getting that virus. And the vaccine, as of a year ago, is indicated for women up to the age of 46. Interesting. So getting a pap smear, smear to screen to see if we already have the virus, but getting a vaccine to try to prevent us from getting the virus are very important. Mammograms. Mammograms should start no later than the age of 40. They may start younger if a woman has a strong family history of breast cancer or if she has any symptoms of any sort of a breast abnormality. But for all women 40 years old and over, an annual screening mammogram is very important. And then most important, healthy eating and exercise. Julie, we know you're great at that. But for all of us, just keeping our bodies healthy is going to be one of those best ways for us to just lower our risk of cancer in the future. And finally, being aware of any body changes. If you suddenly notice a breast lump and it's never been there before, you need to let your doctor know. One of my dear friends, when we were in med school, she did her first breast exam and found breast cancer at 26. So it can happen to all of us. And just noticing those changes and letting a doctor know is going to hopefully find it before it becomes uh, too late. I think that's part of one of those things too, that we, you know, I'm, I'm doing a breast exam, which this is awkward. I don't do them. I should do them. 
I kind of let you do them. <laughs> I should be working on that. But then if I do feel something that feels abnormal, I'm, I'm filled with fear. And I'm like, I'm sure it's fine. And I want to ignore it. But that's definitely not the way to go. So an easy breath tip is, first of all, the more you examine, the more you're going to know what your lumps feel like. When you're in the shower and you're soapy, just feel the tissue. If you find something, compare the right side with the left side. If you feel it pretty similar on both sides, then it's nothing to worry about. Good to know. All right. So Dr. Holly, you've given us a lot of incredibly great insights. And I think for me, some of the takeaways are come to you early, come to you at the beginning of any concern or any question, or even just, hey, I'm 21 now and I haven't been here there yet. I'm going to put my fear aside and I'm going. So I think we should encourage all of our listeners, don't be afraid of you people. You know, don't be afraid of you, doctor people, that we are terrified of because you're simply there to help us. Absolutely. I would hope that's how women look at us. They need to come in. They need to have some sort of a relationship with a doctor that they feel comfortable with so that we can help prevent diseases before they really become an issue. Okay. One of the questions I sent you was, are there any things that come to mind that you wish all women knew about feminine health? But like, if you could shout it from the rooftops, this is what you want women to know about. Yes. There's definitely some things. First of all, most of the products that are available at your local pharmacy that are advertised for feminine health, they are not worth your money. Uh, We don't need to buy expensive soaps, for down there. We just need to take a shower, use a gentle soap, wash the vagina like you do your armpits and just uh, you know, a once a day shower is enough. It doesn't have to be super expensive to take care of. Uh, the second thing is just how beautiful and strong all we as women are. And I know that's mm. what Grit and Grace is all about, but every woman is beautiful simply because we're women. And I think that part of understanding that beauty is really understanding the beauty of our anatomy and the beauty of the menstrual cycle and why God created it for us. Though it is annoying in the moment, (laughs) there is still beauty in it and there's beauty in understanding why it was created and the fact that we can grow babies. Now, I know not every listener is going to ever pursue being a mom. There's going to be women that are dealing with infertility and I'm very sensitive to that. But just knowing that God made this cycle for a purpose, I think just just having that really helps me to see the beauty in women of all ages. I love that. I also love that. I mean, this is going to feel insensitive. I also love that you talked about the wash because that was all my questions. Like, do I need to be buying that stuff? Especially as someone who literally lives in her workout clothes. I'm like, oh, certainly I need to be buying special soap. Well, you need to get out of your stinky clothes. Like when you're done with your workout, you got to get out of the wet stuff. But what if I have to go right to work? Yeah, she's sitting here now after her workout. Just change, you idiot. Okay, change. Change from, change into clean workout gear. Okay. I love it. Okay. All right, can we put this on pause real quick? I need to go to the restroom. (laughs) I didn't bring other clothes. All right, Dr. Holly, I think you have given us an enormous amount of things to think about and to even act upon, but, you know, let's just cap this off. Is there anything else you want to make sure that our listeners know 
that they may not know from their doctor or their Google search or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what's one thing that you really want them to take away? I really just want women to understand that they need to be coming in um, and just being themselves and sharing their concerns with their doctor. And if there's a concern that's not being addressed, just Tell that doctor to pause. Tell them that you have another concern to address. The other thing that women need to understand is they don't need to shave before they come in. They don't need to apologize if there is an odor because that's what we're there to treat. To be honest, if if nobody points out to me that they haven't shaved, I don't even think about it. If they don't point out to me that their feet are stinky, I don't think about it. So don't tell me what you're really embarrassed about. Um, but if you're truly coming in for us to evaluate your vaginal discharge or your vaginal odor or your vaginal concern, just come when it's bad, because that's the best time for me to really fix it for you. Well, it's like when you take your car to the shop, you, you want it to be doing the thing that it's doing That's right. so that they can actively treat the problem. So it's kind of the same way. Exactly. Also, I never shave my legs. So let's not be expecting women to be doing that. <laughs> I mean, it's part of the reason I started laser hair. Is laser hair bad? Laser hair removal, Dr. Holly? No. No, I, I think, I, I think it's amazing. Yes. Okay, good. Julie just got her free advice here. So. <laughs> exactly. Now I don't have to come see you, right? Just kidding. If I've learned anything on this episode, I need to be booking an appointment. Well, Dr. Holly, thank you so much for taking time on your day off to come and chat with us. I love that you actually admitted off air that you're chilling in your pajamas. I mean, you could not be more of a grit and grace, real talk woman for being willing to do that. So thank you. Well, thank you both for having me. It has definitely been my privilege to sit here with you and to talk today. All right. So a lot of questions were answered that maybe you thought about asking or maybe you didn't, but I'll bet you learned a lot. And I've got to pull a Bible verse about learning a lot because it actually is talked about. Here it is. Proverbs 2, 11. Wise choices will watch over you and understanding will keep you safe. I feel like this conversation makes me feel a little bit more prepared for the ensuing labor that's coming my way quicker and quicker. So thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check the show notes for more resources and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of This Grit and Grace Life. Make sure you've subscribed and rated and reviewed the show so more friends can find us. You can also share about this episode on your social media or send it to a friend you think it could help. You can find everything we talked about in this episode on our website, gritandgracelife.com, where you'll also find plenty of other articles from other women answering questions you may have.